So, let's, uh, let, let's start off then with a prayer, and then we're going to go through one of the Psalms, Psalm 8, and I'm going to suggest that these are the thoughts of David after he has killed Goliath, that night, after he's killed Goliath. Right, so let's, uh, let's start with a prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you here in this pub in Croydon to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the Lord Jesus. To thank you for your word, to thank you for your love for us. Father, we're all at different points in the journey, and we pray that you will help us, wherever we are, that you will lead us further. That you will open our eyes to your word, that you will teach us, that you will speak to us, and that those who have not yet been baptized will get baptized, and that with all of us, you will strengthen us in all the temptations and situations we face. Trusting, Father, that it is your desire to do us good at our latter end. No matter what we're going for, that in all our private struggles to, to come to you, to overcome the flesh and to go the way of the Spirit, that you will pour your Spirit into us. That with humility and gentleness, we might truly be followers of your dear Son as we live out our lives here in South London and this part of the world, that you will help us, so that when the Lord returns, and we pray he will come very soon, that he may find people here, men and women, waiting and ready for him and eager and willing to rise up and meet him, and to be forever with the Lord. For his sake, amen. amen. <clears throat> right, so, um, last week we looked at... David killing Goliath. And I said that, you know, David went into this battle absolutely trusting in God. Absolutely trusting. That he's offered the armor and all that stuff. He said, no, I don't want that. I'm here to glorify God's name. And he goes with nothing as a youngster and a red-headed youngster to this experienced giant of a man. And he says, you know, I come to you in the name of God, I come to you in God's name, and I don't need any, any defense, I have no helmet, he had no shield, no nothing, and he just slings the stone, and he hits Goliath right in the forehead, he then comes and stands on Goliath, takes his sword out, cuts his head off, and the battle is won. Everyone then thought that... David was absolutely wonderful, and they're all jumping up and down. All the girls are out there saying, oh, Saul killed his thousands, David killed his ten thousands, everybody thinks David is wonderful. But each of his view was, i just come here to do a job for the Lord, and now I'm, uh, I'm going home. And he takes these, the head of Goliath to Jerusalem. And I said yeah, last week, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he brings the head of Goliath to Jerusalem. And what does a head become over time? It becomes a skull. And I said that Jesus was killed on Golgotha, which gold is the Hebrew word for skull, the skull of Goliath. And so the whole thing has also got a lot of meaning as regards the Lord Jesus. That the Lord Jesus died uh, in order to overcome 
sin, this gigantic opposition to us, that now means nothing because he's overcome it. And David, we could say, therefore represented the Lord Jesus. But when you read this psalm, which I suggested David's thoughts afterwards, it's all about glorifying God and God's glory and God's name. Because David doesn't want any of the glory for himself. So, in memory, this psalm is in memory of the one from Gath. Now Goliath was from Gath. That's a city in the, where the Philistines were. Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Set your glory above the heavens. So he said when he goes to fight Goliath, Goliath curses him by his gods. And David says, I'm going to kill you so that God's name may be glorified in all the earth. So he's alluding to that. And he says, your name, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So after he killed Goliath, we're told David's name was much set by. Everyone thought David was wonderful. His name, oh David, David was wonderful. And he says, no, may your name, may your glory, God, be everywhere, not me. It's like when a footballer scores, if he's a believer, he does the, you know, up there symbol, you know, that this is God. And uh, we live in a world where human achievement is glorified. Oh, well done, you did this, you had this career, you bought this, you, you did that, and oh, human achievement is glorified. But that is not our way as believers, as it wasn't David's way. They all thought that, you know, he was wonderful, and he says, no. Um, this is all about glory to God. And I think that's the difference between religion and spirituality. That in religion, oh yeah, man is glorified. The, the bishop or the pastor or whatever is all dressed up and it's all rightly died, it's all glory, glory to man. And yeah, you put your best clothes on to go to church and show out that you're some awesome person. No, um, it's all about glory to God. And you see in this little psalm, David fighting himself, as it were, to keep himself humble and to, to realize that we've got to keep giving the glory to God. So he says, from the lips of babes and infants, you have perfect praise and have established strength because of your adversaries, that you might silence the voice of the enemy and the avenger. So there was Goliath standing there, booming with a very loud voice, saying, Come on, fight me. Come on, come on, I dare you. If you beat me, then the Philistines will be slaves to Israel. But if I kill your man, you Israelites will be slaves to us forever. And his voice is booming away. And David just goes and throws his stone and kills him. And what David is saying is, God as it were, shut down this loud, booming voice of this arrogant guy. And he could shut it down just by the gurgling little noises of a baby. You remember they all said that David was too young to fight. When David says, yeah, sure, I'll go and fight him, Saul says, no, you can't, you're only a, a young guy. And he's been a warrior from his youth, and you're just a young fella. His older brother, Eliab, is there at the battlefront. And when David comes, Eliab says to him, what are you here for? You're a kid brother. Right? He's got 
seven or so older brothers, and uh, Eliab says to David, go back and look after our few sheep in the wilderness. What are you doing here? You're too young. You're a kid. Go. And David says, no, I'm good. Uh, And he wins the victory. And so he's saying here, yeah, okay, you all thought I was too young to win the victory, but you know what? God could even use newborn babies to kill Goliath if he wanted to. And that the whole message is that it is not human strength. It is not human resource. How much experience you've got, how much armor you've got, how much defense you've got. It's not about that at all. As Solomon says, the race is not actually won by the swiftest runner, and the battle is not won by the strongest guy. So you see how it is that it is God's style to use the humble, to use the weak, in order to confound, as Paul says, the things that are mighty. And that's important because otherwise we can think, but who am I? I'm a very sinful person. I've got a whole mass of weaknesses. I'm not uh, the erudite, uh, wonderful person. I am just nothing. But no, this is the point, that God uses exactly people like that. Like David, and I've said that in our day, if you're a redhead, people think you're rather cute. Well, they all think our redheaded Daniel is rather cute. But that in their Middle Eastern society, if you were a redhead, you were seen as weird, you were seen as unusual. That's why Goliath mocks him. He says, when he saw that David was young and that he was a redhead and that he came to him just like a shepherd, he despised him. And, yeah, you see, God always works with those who are the little ones and the despised. This is absolutely his style. And you might say, well, what work does God want me to do? Well, we're told there were good works set up for us to do from the foundation of the world. And you wonder what to pray for. People say, oh, what should I pray about? Well, there's something to pray for. Ask God to show you what are those good works that he has set up for you to do from the foundation of the world. Because man is never better than when he's actually doing God's work and he knows this is what I'm meant to do and I'm doing it. It may be caring for an autistic child. It may be bringing the irritating guy who lives next door who's a a dopehead and a drinker, may be bringing him to Jesus Christ. May not be what the world calls anything dramatic, But if you can bring one person to eternity, wow, you have been eternally valuable. So we've all got that that we can do. And it's great to see uh, a full bar here uh, of of people. And I know that this one was brought here because of that one, and that one was brought here because of that one, or or whatever. You have done something eternally important. Now, in the eyes of the world, because we don't drive flash cars, because we don't live in palaces, and because you know you haven't got a, you know, unlimited spending money and all that sort of thing, people think, oh, you haven't made it. But all that shall pass. So, let's go on. When I consider, verse 3, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, who or what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So I suggest that these were David's thoughts that night after he killed Goliath and everyone like the audience, the crowd's going mad, the girls are there with the tambourines and the flowers. Oh David, David, David. Everyone's in love with David. 
oh, he's wonderful, he's, he's amazing. And the guy just goes out there that night and looks up at the uh, sun, moon, uh, sorry, at the moon and stars. That's why the sun isn't mentioned, because I suggest this is David at night. And he says, when I consider what you did, God, with your fingers, what you did with your fingers, slinging a stone at a great speed with great accuracy so that it hit exactly in Goliath's forehead right? he had a big helmet on and he had a lot of armour but David got that stone absolutely within one centimetre, less than a centimetre right? he got it absolutely right and he got it right first time to sling the stone with that accuracy would have meant using your fingers that's what slinging stones is about, using your fingers. You might have skimmed stones over a lake or a piece of water, you know, you skim the stone, but how good you are doing it depends on how clever you are with your finger and also whether you've got a smooth stone or a flat stone or, or a lump of rock. But the point is that slinging stones is about fingers. That's the, that's the art of it. And so... He's killed Goliath because of his smart finger work. But then that night, when everyone's like, oh, David, you're wonderful, you know, blah, blah, blah. He just goes out and he looks up at the, at the moon and the stars and he says, when I consider the work of your fingers, wow, what is man? That you're mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him. So you see how it is. All the time he's saying, this is not about me. He's saying, yeah, so you'll think I'm great because I, I threw the stone so well with my finger, or my fingers. But when I look at the work of your fingers, wow, absolutely amazing. And then he says these words, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Now, you can read that as him saying, man is irrelevant. Man is so tiny. What is man? Answer, not much. Nothing. And in one sense, yes, that is how it is. But I think we're missing his point. So you're going to read on. He goes on to say, how amazing is man? What amazing potential there is in being human. That man is not actually born a loser. That's the point. That man is not actually a born loser. Because he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or who is man? You translate it that way. Who is man that you are mindful of him? And who is the son of man that you care for him? Who is the son of man? That was the most beloved term that the Lord Jesus used about himself, the son of man. Who is the son of man? The son of man is the son of God. Who is the Son of Man? Son of God. And so he says, and who is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? Mindful means just that. Mindful. That God's mind is full of us. Can't get you off my mind. You know? So, song in it from years ago. Like, um, you can't get the object of your love off your mind. And you see, God is mindful of man, of us. He is 
full. His mind is full of thinking about us. Now that's very difficult to get your head around because we unfortunately are not, our mind is not full of God all the time. Your mind turns to God at certain points during the day. And unfortunately we cannot, any of us say that I think about God all the time. My mind is full of God. Not all the time. And because we only sometimes think about God, we are inclined to think that God also only sometimes thinks about us. But this is not the case. He is mindful. He's got us on his mind all the time. And this is God Almighty. Can't get you off his mind. Because that's what love is. If you love somebody, you can't get them off your mind. And that is how it is with God. And so he says, but who is man? What is man that you're like this? And who is the son of man that you should care for him? Yeah. He's not saying, oh, man is rubbish. Man is just peanuts. You know, man is just... Yeah, I know in one sense, comparing God to man, yes, we are. But I think that is to misread it. He's saying, wow, man is so important that you think of him all the time, that you can't get me off your mind. Wow. So he goes on. For you have made him for a little time a little lower than the Elohim, God, the mighty ones, the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. Well, in the first instance, this is talking about David. He knows he's already been anointed. Samuel's already anointed him king at this point. But Saul is still the king. He's waiting to be crowned. And he's like, yeah, well, I guess because I killed Goliath and everyone's like, oh, yay, David, you're wonderful. Saul was the guy who should have fought Goliath, but he didn't. And so David can see that he is set up now to be king. And he knows he's going to be crowned, but he's like, but who am I? Who am I? I will be. I see it coming. But who am I? But I should be king. And it's the same with us. You see, we are called to be the kings. Revelation 5.10 says that we will praise God well. We will be king, priests, and reign forever on the earth over all that we survey. Well, who am I to be a great one? Who am I? I am nothing. Yes, that is how it is, but we will be. We will be in glory. And who am I that I should be that, but I will be. So it's not, oh, what is man? Oh, yeah, just rubbish. No, I mean, of course, the idea is, but what is man? I am tiny, I am nothing. Yeah. That I should be a ruler. That I should be crowned. So, what's this word Elohim? It's the Hebrew word. And literally it means mighty ones. And it can be used about men. It can be used about the leaders of Israel. They're called the Elohim. It can be used about the angels. And it can be used about God himself. So he says, what is man? And who is the son of man? You made him for a little while a little lower than God. We have been made for a little time, a little lower than God. In other words, we are not that far off God. 
And Paul says something similar when he says that God is not far from every one of us. This is a big difference in the way you look at humans. I have said before that I have this theory, which I think is in the Bible, but even my dear wife doesn't agree with me, so you don't have to agree with me, um, that God is a personal being in the form of man. Now, I don't want to be blasphemous or talk, how to say, inappropriately, but I do think the Bible teaches that God the Father exists as a person, and that man is made in his image and after his likeness. In other words, God is not a puff of cloud. God is not, I don't know, electricity. God's not a bit of vapour floating around one trillion miles up in space. God actually exists as a personal being in the same form and likeness as we do. We are, of course, not God because we are human, sinful and all the rest of it. But we shall be changed, Paul says, at the resurrection. That's why I love the idea of the resurrection. When he says we shall be given a body, Paul says, like unto his glorious body. You see, when you're baptised, you go under the water, that's like death with Jesus. You come up out of the water like resurrection with him. You will be resurrected and changed. But there will be a continuity with how you are now. That the Duncan who dies is the Duncan who shall be resurrected. In other words, personality is not destroyed. But rather, it is eternally saved. Salvation is personal. I personally will be saved. You will be saved. When, you know, one by one we all cross the river and we all die, as will happen, unless the Lord comes in our lifetime. We shall see each other again and we shall recognize each other. I shall see spirits. I shall see Maria. You will see me. We will again relate with each other. We will remember the pub in Croydon where we used to do church. You see, it's that real. And so, God has made man a little lower than himself for a little while. Now, how long have human beings been crawling around on this hopeless planet? Well, 6,000 years, 6 billion years, 6 trillion years, don't make any difference. In the, in the perspective of eternity, that's nothing. How long does a, a man live? 70 years? 80 years, 90 if you're unlucky, 100 if you, you know, if you cough and hack your way through to 100, I would say you are most unlucky. So it's a short time, a very short time. God has made us for a very short time, a little time, a little lower than God. And that was David's thought that night. And that's the wonderful perspective that we've got. Wonderful perspective. No matter what you're going through in this life, whether you're fat, thin, beautiful, ugly, rich, poor, successful, not successful, it doesn't make any difference. All that is in God's big picture. Whether your family life is a total spaghetti junction or whether it's all wonderful and, you know, how it's supposed to be and all that stuff, doesn't make any difference at all in the bigger picture because we are made for a very short time 
just a little lower than God. And then we shall be exalted. <clears throat> and this is the huge perspective that we've got. You will make him ruler over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and cattle, yes, and the wild beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. So, there was David. He had thrown the stone. Goliath fell forward on his face, and I said last week that it's significant that Goliath fell forward, not backward, as you normally would if you're hit by a high-velocity stone, you would fall back, but he falls forward on his face as if he is bowing before God, before David. And then David runs up to him, pulls his sword out of the scabbard, cuts his head off, stands on Goliath's body and, and holds up the head. And the Philistines run away. And there's David saying, what is man? Well, who is the son of man? You've made him a little bit lower than the Elohim, than the mighty ones. And you've put all things under his feet. Well, yeah, in the first context, David stood upon Goliath. And all things were under his feet. But he's saying, the path that I went through is in fact the path of every man, or believer, if you like. That we also are taken, as it were, from those few sheep in the wilderness, from the obscure life, from the life of being despised. And I said last week that being the kid brother, when you've got seven or eight older brothers, in those days was a total a fate worse than death. You were the runaround. You're the kid brother. You're the junior brother. You've got seven or eight older brothers. You can go and look after the sheep in the wilderness. You're our personal runaround. And I talked about when David says in another psalm, in sin did my mother conceive me. In sin did my mother conceive me. Some people think that means that all human beings are conceived in sin, but I... It's not, it's not a sin to get pregnant. It's not a sin to have a baby. God's not like some sort of mad when, oh, hang, there's another of those evil little brats appear down on the planet. That's not, you know, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, David says. We are not, you know, like this. And so when David says, in sin did my mother conceive me, I think, well, I think he means what he says, actually. Like, you know, I wasn't legitimate. So actually, those seven or eight older brothers were only his half-brothers. You're not the real member of the family, David, you know, Dad and a bit of a fling with, um, <clears throat> yeah, whoever, and you came along, and you can jolly well look after the sheep, our few sheep in the wilderness. And he was a poor man when later on he marries Saul's daughter. He says, but I'm a poor man, I'm from a poor family. So he's a poor guy from a poor family. Red-headed, which I suggested in the Middle Eastern culture of the time, a redhead was seen as a weirdo, not normal, something's funny with you. Possibly, if he was a redhead. Now, do you know any Arab people who are redheads? Yeah. Yeah, yeah she, but she's dyed it. She's faking it. No, you don't. Um, it's not... It's not how it is. So the fact that David says, in sin did my mother conceive me, and he was a redhead, you kind of wonder whether his dad had a fling with a Gentile, maybe a British woman, or I don't know. <laughs> who knows? Hopefully not, but you know. 
Scottish woman. I don't know. I have no idea. But what I'm saying is, the bottom line is, that he was the despised one. He was the oddball. He was the outlier. He, he was the not special guy. And uh, yet it was him who God chose. And now he says, you know, I've been exalted. I went down to take some cheese and some uh, food to my brothers who are fighting in the army. And, you know, he heard this, saw this Goliath guy standing up there. Um, and he uh, throws his stone and, well, he kills the guy, he runs over to him, gets his sword out, cuts his head off. Yeah. Oh, wow, and suddenly he's exalted. Suddenly David is, is amazing. Suddenly all the girls love him. Suddenly he's, oh, the, all of Israel thinks he's wonderful. Rah, rah. Um, and he's saying, but you know, the path that I went is the path of every man. And that's the thing, that we are not just hopeless, irrelevant losers on this planet. So when he says, what is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. Yeah, he's not saying, you know, man's rubbish. He's saying, look, man has got a huge destiny to reign over the animals, to reign over this planet, to reign over all that he surveys. Now, of course, that is that was God's intention for man in Eden, Adam and Eve. He tells them to go out and rule over, have dominion over the animals. But they don't do that because they go and listen to one of the animals. They listen to the serpent, who we're told was the, uh, the most subtle, the most clever of all the beasts of the field that God had made. They listen to the serpent. They don't have dominion over him. They don't say, shut up. Stupid servant, I'm having dominion over you. Of course, I'm not going to do what God says I mustn't do. So they messed up. But that was God's intention. And God's intention will come true. That's what David's saying. That as he stood over Goliath, with Goliath under his feet, he's saying, you know, God wanted all of us. And wants all of us to have this experience. And when he says that I have... Uh, we're going to have dominion over the beasts of the field. You might remember when, when Saul says to David, you can't fight against this guy, you're too little. He says, yes I can, because when I was a shepherd, keeping my dad's sheep, there came wild beasts, there came a lion and a bear, and I killed them, because they tried to steal a sheep. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. So he treated Goliath as if he was one of the wild beasts. And I also think that's why when David goes to fight Goliath, he takes a, a stick, a rod in his hand, as well as his sling. Backup. No, I don't think it was backup. Because when Goliath saw the stick in his hand, he said, huh, are you coming to fight me like, as if I'm a dog, as if I'm a wild animal? And the answer to that was, yes, <laughs> you are a dog. And that's why I brought this with me. And you see now he's glorifying, he's glorifying God. For this he says, yeah, just as I triumphed over that dog, that wild animal, like I triumphed over the lion and the bear, the beast of the field. So he said, every man is going to do this. This is every man's triumph. So, I was trying to tap us under the chin and say, you know what, it's, isn't it wonderful to be human? Because it isn't most of the time, as we all know. But, 
Man has a wonderful destiny. If you are the man as God intends, if you are the human as God intends, and the great thing about the Lord Jesus is that there in him, you see the Son of Man, you see man as God intended man to be. That's why this question, who is man? What is man? And who is the Son of Man? Well, yeah, who is the Son of Man? The Son of Man is the Son of God. The Son of Man is not nothing. He's the Son of God. So, I'm trying to say that the fact that we are human, the fact that we are in God's image, means that we absolutely have been lifted up. We have been totally lifted up and given a another way to be and given this amazing perspective on the end. In the end, that I have this potential. You all do. And that is why it works out that your view of humanity affects how you treat people. When you look at another human being, you see there, or you should see there, someone made in the image of God. You see there someone who is also the Son of Man. You see there someone who could have all things under their feet, who could have this crown of glory forever. Whereas if you think that human beings are just rubbish and dirt and to be despised, well, I'm afraid you will not treat people with respect. In the same way as if, for example, you had parents or a mother or a father who continually told you all the time, you're rubbish, you're bad. Oh, what a bad job you made of that. You're bad. Oh, oh. I'm afraid that influences the child and the child grows up to feel that I am nothing, I'm rubbish, I can never succeed. And likewise, if you subscribe, I think, to a, if you like, a theology, a teaching that says human beings are just evil, God hates them, God hates a lot of us. Does he? <clears throat> no, he doesn't. Uh, he loves us. Right, he loves us, that's right, Kev, absolutely. Then you see, you will start to treat people in that way, oh, it's only a human, it's only a person. What do you mean, it's only a person? And I think you, you see this, you do see this. <clears throat> For example, I grew up in a, a very strict uh, church in Clapham, a few suburbs away from here in Croydon, that had this view. They had a very strange view that Jesus actually died to get forgiveness for human nature, which is a very <laughs> strange idea. Um, idea being that every human being is sinful. And when I fell out with this church, I fell out with them over this issue. And uh, this brother said to me, Duncan, if you cut one of your fingers off and put it on the table, you know, God would see that finger as just crawling with sin. And he would hate it. And you think, huh? There's nothing wrong with my finger, thank you. If I cut it off and put it on the table, there's not a load of sin crawling on the table, right? This is, this is rubbish, right? Now, you may think, oh, that's extreme. But you know what? A lot of, a lot of churches do have this. Get down to Croydon and you hear some of those blokes who have got a microphone. I don't mean us. I mean, I mean these other blokes. 
they're there preaching like God hates you hey you like you know the Plymouth Brethren the, ex- the exclusive Brethren you know, I've been psalmisted they're, they're like hey you and they pick on themselves hey God hates you get on your knees and repent and you're like what? God doesn't hate the guy he loves the guy I mean get over it but what happens I'm afraid if you're continually bombarding yourself with the idea that oh, man is bad and we're all bad and we're all I'm afraid people start to fall into depression. They start to get anxiety. They start to be unable to relate properly to other people. You're more than back to square one. Yeah, you're minus one. That's all. I mean, in this church I grew up in, that's oh yeah, we're all terrible sinners. Yeah, as I say, cut your finger off, put it on the table. God's mad with your finger because it's full of sin. What is totally bizarre, if you're my opinion. When we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? But then, there they, these guys were all very nicely dressed up. And the women were all very heavily dressed, like, like every part of body was covered. Because, ah, oh, the flesh. We hate the flesh. You know? When we were young, we'd go out swimming together. Older girls, they had to, like, be dressed almost like, you know, in those Muslim sort of clothes almost now lest you reveal the flesh because the flesh is wrong there ain't nothing wrong with this stuff there's nothing wrong with it at all um, so you may think oh yeah that doesn't apply to, to me but you know what it kind of does because we all tend to have that view that I am rubbish that I'm no good that I'm, I'm a loser and why do we we all struggle with depression? Right? Let's not say, oh no, none of us do. We all, you know, how was your week? Awesome. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling awesome. I mean, rubbish. You know, that's all. That's all. That's all myth. That, that's all. You know, tap under the chin, feel good. That's all nonsense. Absolute rubbish. Huh? Someone down the line That's right. There's drama. Yeah, that's right. Everyone's going through dramas. And um, it's in those times that we easily slip into this idea that, yeah, I'm just a hopeless case. So let me turn to alcohol, let me turn to whatever drugs or whatever whatever addiction there is. Um, and a lot of those folks who are hard, hardcore in addiction have a terribly negative view about themselves. They almost hate themselves. Why do people self-harm? Same thing. Hate myself. Yeah? Or, Pete. Or, 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 it's relief. Yes. That's what you they are. Makes you feel better. So, you know, all this is answered by what David is saying in this lovely song. It's all answered. Because he's saying, look, what is, let's go back. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you establish, who or what is man that you're mindful of him? Mindful, God is thinking about us all the time. And who is the son of man that you care for him? Who is the son of man? The son of man is the son of God. Thank you, Tony. Exactly. You made him for a little time, a little lower than God. It's amazing. For a little time, all this whole drama of this life is an old human history. 
So a little while. God made us a little, for a little time, a little lower than God. Not much, but a little lower. And crowned him with glory and honour. Not yet. That's to come. He's going to make us ruler over all this earth, over all that we survey. Put all things under our feet. Even things that we can't now reach. Fish and sea. You can never rule over them, but we will. And then he concludes as he started, Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Not me, not my name, but your name. Can we start passing out the bread and the juice? Somebody like to pass the bread and the juice round? Pat, maybe. So, we've got to remember the Lord Jesus. And these words are actually quoted about him. So, as you pass the bread and the juice out, I just want to read what Paul says. And let's, by the way, let's try and be quiet and respectful while we're taking the bread and the juice, okay? Even if you're not a Christian yet, you can just be quiet and respectful while we do it, okay? But not to angels, did he subject... For not to angels did he subject the world to come, of which we speak. But one of somewhere testified, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels, or God. You crowned him with glory and honour, did set him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. But now we do not see all things subjected to him. But we behold him, who has been made a little lower than the angels, Jesus crowned with glory and honour because of his suffering of death, that he by God's grace should taste death for every man. But it became him for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. So that's why we remember his death and we glorify it because the whole wonderful purpose Okay, Sarah, I'll have some Thank you. Our wonderful purpose was to bring many sons to glory, the Son of Man to the Son of God, and all of us to bring us through to glory. Well, they're my thoughts, and that's what I want us to try to live by, that you have a huge potential, and to ask God, what can I do for you, Lord? What good works did you set out for me to do before the foundation of the world? And to remember as we go through all the dramas and the things that depress, which are a lot of things in life, that ultimately I shall be crowned with glory and honour. Crowned with glory and honour. I'm not just going to be a little guy. I'm going to be crowned with glory and honour. I'm a little guy now. But crowned with glory and honour and all things should be under my feet and what is man that you are mindful of him the son of man that you care for him who is the son of man the son of God right so um, Spira would you like to give thanks for the uh, bread and the juice Father we give you thanks for all sitting here growing 
with fat bellies and clothes on our bodies and look at the world and disasters beholding all the people of the world and, and we're always moaning and groaning and ungrateful. But one thing we can rely on, Father, is your love for us. We may not fully understand how you, who are so perfect, can love us. And we just pray that as we take the bread and, and the wine and the body of Christ and his blood, Father, that we will achieve something within our souls. Help our soul that loves the flesh to overcome the flesh. Surely the flesh does hate the soul, but the soul loves the flesh. Help us to see us in your soul and how you look at us and how you love us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the bread represents his body. The bread represents his body. The cup represents his blood.